When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Azani delivers. It's a good ball in. Oh, it's four from Bonaroli. Well, the near post header. And for the second time this season, and just the second time in his A-League career, he has scored four goals in a match. And what a way to bring up number 100. Belting. Looking for Russo. And she's in behind Mielda. It's Russo! Two goals in two minutes, and Chelsea are in all sorts of trouble. Brilliant from Alessia Russo. Germain switches it for Holman. Holman shoots and Holman scores. First blood to the older brother. Elliott took up from here, and he puts it in the back of the net. Harvey Elliott for Liverpool. Are they on their way to the top of the table? Welcome to the global game for Paramount Plus. The A-League is where stars are made. Every round, every game, live only on Paramount Plus. Here are your hosts, Alex Brosk and Simon Hill. Yes, hello again. Good to have your company for another edition of the global game. Lots of pre-Christmas goodies coming your way tonight. Here's what's on our menu. We'll review round seven of the A-League as Western United hand out some free gifts to the Mariners and Bruno Fornaroli states his case for Asian Cup inclusion. Our interview of the week features Clayton Lewis from MacArthur as the Bulls hit the top of the league. Alicia Carnavas will be here to talk about the the top-of-the-table clash in the FA Women's Super League and Millie Farrow's treble that sends Perth glory to the summit of the A-League women's. Spencer Pryor on the English Premier League as Liverpool take over at the top, but could Aston Villa be contenders? We'll continue our Asian Cup countdown with a look at Australia's group, and Paul Williams is here to run the rule over a crucial week in the Champions League and AFC Cup. It's all to come between now and 10 o'clock Eastern on The Global Game, right here on SEN. Great to have you with us for the next two hours. Lots of football chat coming your way, all in the company of the two Alexes. A very good evening to Alex Brosk and Alex Molchanov. Nice to be with you, Simon. How are you, Broski? Are you good? Good, I am good. Oh, sorry. So you've got to turn your mic on. on to be with us. Apologies, apologies. <laughs> All right, I'm on. Yeah, half asleep there, mate. A bit like Sydney <laughs> FC at the back at the moment. Oh, oh hey, sore point, you two. Sore point. It hurts. Yeah. <laughs> What's good? Why can't you win at Alliance? 
Well, it doesn't help when your no, keeper's sent yeah, off right. after 15 minutes. <laughs> right. I thought a bit of team out. after that. <laughs> well, that's true. We'll get on to talk about all of those things and lots of other topics as well. Uh, if you want to get involved, as usual, our number is 1300-01-1170. Send a text 0457-73736. Or you can tweet us at Global Game SEM. One or two have already come in. Some very interesting questions tonight. We'll deal with those a little bit later on in the show. Let's kick things off, though, as we always do with Starter for Five. Here we go, then. Alex Bross, question one. Six losses in a row for Western United. Johnny A is on borrowed time or no? The quality's there. They'll be just fine. Um, well, I don't know whether they'll be fine, but I do think um, as far as Johnny goes, and, and it's hard to say given he's a good mate and, and having seen what he's done as a coach, but... Look, we've seen both Rado and Steve Corica go after poor starts to their seasons, and it was nowhere near six losses in a row. Yeah. So you, you you do feel that unless Johnny can turn things around quickly, um, then you know it's only heading one way. But the quality certainly is there, so it's uh, it must be frustrating for him, for their fans, and and you know for us on the sideline watching. I mean, I thought the recruit recruitment this year was good. They, yeah. they rejuvenated the squad, got a lot of older older heads out, and, and brought in some some youth. Pena, Thurgate, Rukovica. How, how are they not scoring? How are they struggling? So, Well, t- two caveats to this, uh, and I'm interested in Alex Molchanov's view as well. Uh, first of all, does he get a little bit more time because he won the championship season mm. before last? Uh, and also, with the greatest respect, Western United are not Melbourne Victory or Sydney FC or Western Sydney Wanderers, maybe even Melbourne City, a little bit lower profile. Um, and therefore, is perhaps the, the, the pressure not quite as intense as it might be at, at one of those clubs? I had, Without a doubt. Well, yeah, I'd agree with that. The the other side to that is the quality of the squad. Yeah. I'd say it's actually a stronger squad, with the exception of maybe a, a proper number nine, than the mm. team that won the championship. So Noah Bottich, not a proper number nine? Well, he is, but he's still a young yeah. player. He's not Alexander Previch. Yeah. Not yet. Mm. And I think the, the quality they've got in behind them, they've scored one goal yep. across those six games. That's yeah. incredible. In a salary cap league... Uh, some of those losses to the teams they've lost to as well. I think John Aloisi is under big, big pressure. Okay, uh, question two, Multi, this one's for you. Nestor and Kunda's tears in Adelaide. Time to give the kid a break. Or no, he's off to Germany where it'll be even worse, for goodness sake. Well, I think anyone who was expecting him to just run through this season with a, you know, consistently, that's the hardest thing to come across. And Broski would be able to speak to that better than me. But... Um, of course, you've got to give him time. Mm. It's not all going to come together snap like that. I, I don't expect it to see him in the Asian Cup squad, which we might have had he had a, a brighter start to the season. Yeah. He's still had his moments during oh, the game. Oh, sure has. Yeah. <laughs> so, there's no doubt yeah, about you know, There's no doubt about the quality. It'll come good. I'm not too worried. I think so. Yeah, no, not concerned at all. I think, look, uh, he's, he's obviously a very emotional player in the way he plays as well. And, and I, look, I love seeing that. So I, I, I'm not concerned for him at all. I think he's a great player. We've seen more than enough. Yeah. to know that he's going to go on to bigger and better things. Look, anyway. the, the only thing that I hope, that when he goes to Germany, because he's only 17, doesn't mm. turn 18 until, he's February, until February, that his management team, whoever they are, they, they put people around him mm. to, to ease that transition because yeah. that's going to be hard for him. You know, different country, different language, different food, mm. different weather, all of those things. And that's before you even start with the football. So, But Carl Vietz is a switched on guy. I yeah, think Carl Vietz not already, going with him to Germany. No, he's though. not going there, but he'd already be preparing <laughs> yeah. him, you know, yeah. mentally on what's, ex- what's expected okay. and what's waiting for him. All right. Question three, Broski. Uh, Matty Ryan's fractured cheekbone ahead of the Asian Cup. Goodness me. Arnie needs to get on the phone to Mitch Langerak quick. <laughs> or no, stick with Joe Gauchy. He's in decent nick. 
Uh, look, Joe Gauchi is in decent nick, but that, the whole Mitch Langerak thing, that's, mm. that ship has sailed, right? There's no way. Has it? You think Mitch? Well, I don't know. You know, that's, there's, <laughs> there are always bridges that can be built oh, if you really want to. I, I don't know if this one can. I, no? I, I feel like Mitch was, was burnt in being left out of the World Cup. No doubt. Yeah. Whether he'd accept the call, whether Arnie would make the call even, mm. I, I don't know. I don't think he, I don't, that won't happen. Not for okay. me. Not even for the good of the country, potentially. <laughs> anyway, question four, Mulchi. Uh, Aston Villa beat Man City and Arsenal inside a week to go third in the Premier League. The villains are title contenders or steady on its pre-Christmas, they're mere pretenders. Well, the fact they managed to do it while juggling European football is impressive. Yeah. Um, but much like Tottenham, I'd urge for, for a little bit of calm. I'd urge for a little bit of caution because they'll run through a period like Ange has. There's so many parallels between Villa and Tottenham. It's like watching a spitting image of the other. Um, yeah, they're, they're, they're top four contenders, that's for sure. I, whether they've got the, the depth to go on the whole way through the season to win the title, uh, yeah, I think they're a bit okay. short of that. Wait and see. Mm. Uh, and finally, question five, Broski. Melbourne City playing Zhejiang in the AFC Champions League at Princes Park tonight. The time for AFL ovals for our clubs should be a thing of the past, or no? It's our reality. It won't be the last. Well, it definitely won't be the last, unfortunately. But why are they playing there? Was Amy Park? Amy not... Park's not available. Not ready, apparently. Although not Western ready. United are playing there on Friday, so it can't be far off. Right. Look, it is a it is a joke. I mean, it's not going to make for good viewing tonight. We've seen already at, at um, you know Western United's ground what mm. that looks like playing at an AFL stadium. I think just think it's it's time for our sport and our leaders to start taking our game more serious and start demanding that we don't play on these stadiums. I yeah. know they're making the decisions; they're the ones putting it out there. But play at, at um, South Melbourne Stadium. Yeah. Well, I, I was going to say that, but I mean, maybe they've explored that option. I don't know, but uh, that Do that you? to me would seem the logical option. The only yes. the, the only thing against that maybe is AFC have all sorts of mm. regulations about lighting, about broadcast facilities. I don't know whether, you know, Lakeside uh, ticks all those boxes or it doesn't. Well, compared to some of the um, stadiums we're seeing, let, let's say, to tomorrow when MacArthur mm. playing in the Philippines. Yeah. There's some stadiums in, in... And to be honest, if it doesn't tick all those boxes, it's another reminder that football we is not getting what it needs. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and therefore, we have to go and play at AFL Ovals. Anyway, we'll keep you posted on that game. Uh, kicks off at 8.30 uh, Eastern, that is. So about uh, 20 minutes time. So we'll keep you posted as to how Melbourne City go on. They need to win that one. Uh, to have a chance of going through against Ventford Kofu. The Queensland Premier's just uh, resigned. You don't yes. fancy putting your hand up, Simon, for, <laughs> for the role? Well, well, there's, a, there's one tiny problem there, Broski. What's that? I don't live in Queensland. Move up there, mate, for the good of the game. <laughs> if Mitch Langerak can get a call up, mate, you can move to Queensland. <laughs> Watch out, Brisbane, I'm coming. Uh, we're off to a break. On the other side of it, we'll run the rule over round seven of the A-League men's. Time for our A-League round in review. Thanks to Paramount Plus. Don't miss the superstars of the A-Leagues on Paramount Plus. Uh, Broski, we start off with that uh, seven-goal thriller at Combank Stadium on Sunday. Western Sydney Wanderers 3, Melbourne Victory 4. Uh, we'll talk about the seesaw nature of the game in a moment. But first of all, Bruno Fornaroli, goodness me. How good is he this season? I, I hold my hands up. I was one of those who thought, Last season, and to be fair, he was part of a struggling team. I thought, I think Bruno's maybe mm. past his best. 
But he's not, is he? He's definitely not. And, <laughs> and look, to be fair, I, I was with you. I thought he needed someone with him because Bruno, as we're seeing this season, um, he can do things on his own. He doesn't need anyone around him. We saw last week that incredible goal that he scored, and it's not a one-off, really. I mean, he, he goes out in places where a lot of strikers don't. He, he brings guys into play extremely well. Um, and we didn't see enough of that last season to suggest that he was still at anywhere near his best. But this year... And look, a couple of goals obviously help as a striker, but incredible what he's doing. Is he going to the Asian Cup? He should be. Yeah, He definitely should be. You think he should be in the squad? I mean, look, to be fair, Graham Arnold's got a, a, a lot of contenders for those striking roles, hasn't he? Let, let's assume that Mitch Duke and, and Matt Leckie are, are lock-ins. Mm-hmm. They're, they're going to be there. Yep. Um, then you've got Bruno, you've got Cassini Yangi, you've got Adam Taggart, you've got Jamie McLaren. There are probably others that I've forgotten about at the moment, but... It's it's a difficult decision, isn't it? And particularly if you're looking at the longer term, do you go with youth or do you go and say, no, I want to win this tournament? He has to be going there to win this tournament. Mm. I I don't think there needs to be – you've got enough positions within the squad to fill it with with an eye to the World Cup, but you've got a competition to win. There is no striker. All the guys you just mentioned there, there is nobody anywhere near as good a form as what Fornaroli is at the moment. Mm. So it'd be it'd be a waste not to take him, I think. I mean, and all we've been talking about in the last couple of Socceroos matches, who we're still talking about replacing Cahill. Who's going to score yep. the goals? Who's going to? You've got a guy here scoring eleven in six games. He's the guy at the moment. So he's on the plane for you. For me, okay. Yes. Um, a great win for Melbourne victory away from home. They look to be cruising to success, four-one up, mm. and then it very nearly got away from them. And this this has sort of been the story a little bit for victory. They managed to hang on for the three points in the end quite comfortably. But just for a moment or two, you thought, oh, they couldn't, could they, Wanderers? Because yeah. <laughs> it's happened before to victory this season. It has, and, and we've seen the Wanderers do it on the flip side as well, uh, where they've been down a couple of goals. Look, there's two parts that, that are concerning for each manager, I think. For, for the victory... They can ship goals in quite easily. Um, and at 4-1, you can switch off. 4-1, 88th minute, well, 87th minute, it was 4-1. You can switch off and understand this. I'm not too concerned really about those couple late goals, even though it did make it interesting. For for me, it's more the Wanderers with, with Rudin. Um, you know, they've been down 2-0 at half time in three of their matches mm. now. Right, so and showing great resilience. To be fair, they can come back. They've got yeah. goals in them, but their their first halves, they've only scored once in the first half this year at, in their seven matches. So, I mean, that caught me by surprise in looking mm. at that today. So there's obviously something there that they're not starting well. They're not really getting into the game early enough. They're, so that that's an area of concern for Ruse because if they can sort that out, if they can start well, mm. then how do you stop them? Was it handball inside the box, Jack Clisby? Yeah, his feet were definitely out. So, yeah. the, I mean, they could determine that the angle of his body meant that his hand was in. Well, look, I don't think they, were, I don't think they had an angle so then, that was definitive. So they had to stay with the on-pitch decision. Yeah, I, I've got no problem with that. But again, and obviously VAR is my hobby horse and everybody knows this. <laughs> <laughs> but if you're going to have VAR, then you've got to have all the angles. Mm. Well, it's Otherwise, a, it doesn't it's a, work. You're right. It? It's a couple extra lines. Right? Otherwise, you're just going, well, we can't see it. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, uh, let's move on. Sydney FC, Neil MacArthur too. Sorry to bring this up again. We're going to get the MacArthur point of view. Of course, they've gone top of the league. The Bulls had a terrific start to the season. Uh, we're going to speak to Clayton Lewis a little bit later on in the show about all things MacArthur. Uh, so I'll ask you, Broski, and you can chip in as well, Mulch, if you want, because I know you're passionate about Sydney FC. 
what is going wrong for Sydney FC? They, they had that little uh, kick when Ofi Tale yep. uh, first arrived. They got that big win against Adelaide United. But the last two results, the derby and now, uh, well, the local game against mm-hmm. MacArthur, I don't know whether you call it a derby, has, has not gone their way. And it's the home form that's a big problem. It is. Look, I think if we'd been talking about it, which we were last week, um, different different story. I feel like they were on the way up, ha- having beaten Perth. They still weren't quite there. There's some players that aren't as as sharp as um, as Uffie would like them. But I do, from what I hear, know that he's he's working them hard. He's getting them to a certain level to play the way that he wants to play. And then I just think this is one of those weeks. A red card, Mulcher, you said it before, right? I, I actually think it's their second best performance of the season behind the Adelaide mm. game. They, I, I'd actually, pretty decent I'd actually put they? that performance ahead of the, yeah. the win against Glory, particularly the second half of that game where Agreed. they were poor. Yeah. I thought the energy they showed throughout, I thought Fabio Gomez, despite the fact he's not finding the back of the mm. net with a consistency he wants to, was yeah. terrific in terms of his energy, continued to get forward. Joe Lolly was instrumental again. Yeah. Uh, if if they produce that week in, week yes, out, I, yes. I'm not worried at all. So I do feel like they're building to it. They'll be fine. Um, there's not much I, I would take out of this game because of that red card. And, and like uh, Any so, problems with the red card? Um, well, no, no. I mean, given the way the handball is being um, decided and looked at, it's hard to argue. It is hard mm. to argue. I, I don't like it, um, but... And and I made a point of looking at the freeze frame, right, which Harps wasn't uh, happy at me about because he said, well, a freeze frame can show you anything, right, <laughs> which yeah. I agree with. Yeah. But all I wanted to see was did, where did it hit him? Because watching it live, it looked like it was more shoulder than, than, than what it actually was, a bit lower down. And then the rest of it is, well, you know, they talk about it being an unnatural, away from the body in an unnatural position. It wasn't. You don't. His movement, there was nothing unnatural about it. Yeah. So, and it wasn't intentional, but it is away from the body, and it does strike him on the arm, and it's going towards goal. It's it's a really difficult one, and again for me, this is why I brought up the Jack Clesby thing because in this instance, obviously they had angles and they had freeze frames. It was very uh, much in front of them in terms of camera position, mm. so they could jog the wheel and go, "Yep, it's hit the hand. He's out of his goal. Blah blah blah. Red card." Um. But it it just seems to be, you know, double standards with it. And um, I, I've got no issue with the on-field decision, which was play on. Yeah. Equally, I understand why they gave him a red card. But th- this is part of my problem with VAR, that it's, you know, if we don't have enough cameras to cover every angle on the pitch, then mm. we should be having it. Um, anyway, there we go. Uh, Adelaide nil, Brisbane 2, Sunday afternoon. <clears throat> Excuse me. I, I call this game a really good performance by Brisbane in the second half. Adelaide forced 10 corners in that first half, couldn't find a way through. Mm-hmm. And it was almost like they, I don't know whether they switched off or Brisbane switched on at half time. But Raw looked good this season under Ross Aloisi. And they've got goals in that team as well. They should have had four or five second half. The way they're playing is great. And, and Ross, to his credit, he came in from the beginning and said that this is the way we want to play. We want to be direct. We want to look forward, first pass going forward and, and create chances. And they've done that in every game that they've played. It, it's been, um, again, refreshing, you know, because we saw the Mariners last year uh, do it. And we sort of kept waiting for them to, to drop off because they didn't have, I don't think on paper, the same quality as a, a few of the other squads, but they just kept turning up every week. They, they, you know, bought into everything Monty was telling them. It helps when you're getting results as well and seeing the, the, the fruits of all the 
um, of all the talk, right? I mean, yeah, we're, we're playing good football. Everything Ross is saying to do and everything we're training, it's actually working. We're creating chances. We do look good. Um, and, and a belief comes throughout the squad that, that you just can't, nobody can match. And, and Adelaide at home, difficult place yep. to go. Yep. Uh, and Brisbane play their style. We're, we're fantastic to watch. So look, credit does have to go to Aloisi and what he's doing. Yep. Uh, they're up to second Brisbane. Uh, next for the roar, of course, is what's been labeled as the Aloisi Derby. Oh. Um, Against Western United on Friday. Now, Western United, uh, and we've talked a, a bit about this in Starter for Five, uh, against the Mariners on Friday, we're, we're pretty abject. When you concede three goals from corners, mm. um, and even in the second half, when obviously and understandably the Mariners backed off a bit because the game was all but one, Western struggled to create chances without a point since the opening day. As we've mentioned, they've scored just the one goal. So they've got problems, Western United. As for the Mariners, do you sense that they've turned a bit of a corner? They had a poor start to the campaign, Broski, but they seem to be picking up a little bit of momentum. Yeah, a couple wins and um, and, and a draw against the victory last week. It, 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 they are in some good form at the moment. Um, they've got a match tomorrow night as well, which could see them um, you know, go through into the next round of the AFC Cup. So they seem to be picking up some form at the moment. Finally, things are turning for them because it was a, a, a difficult start. I still have my doubts, though, as to whether they can do anything like they did last year. I don't feel like they've recruited um, to replace the quality that they lost. You know, Sam Silvera. Um, Jason Cummings. Jason Cummings, of course. Uh, Triantis at the back there. Mm. I don't – these are big, big losses. Benny they Ancolo, had another one. They had some – they had great seasons, all four yeah. of those guys, and they haven't replaced them well enough for me. Uh, Wellington Phoenix nil, Newcastle Jets three on Saturday night. I don't think anybody saw that one coming. Wellington were top of the league, unbeaten. That's gone. Apostolos de Matalopoulos is uh, providing the one thing that the Jets were really missing last season, and that is mm. a regular goal scorer. Yep. And to be fair, they defended well in the second half as well when Wellington really threw the kitchen sink at them, which they had to do. Yeah, they did, and, and a, a big win for Robbie Stanton as well. Because, again, for, for all the talk of a coach, you know, unless you start putting some results together, it, it can be difficult. Um, and they haven't really picked up too much, the Jets. It's been frustrating for them. But with Stamatolopoulos up there, he wasn't there last week, and, and they were quite poor last week. They didn't create all that much. With him there, he's a, he's a good goal scorer, a good finisher. He knows that first goal, the way he took it, um, without sort of back-to-goal spinning, um, he's a good player, good finisher and what they need because they got a lot of pace out wide. They got a lot of players that can create, but the Jets have struggled in that area for, for a couple of seasons having a goal scorer. So they look a great, a great victory. And Wellington, um, yeah, I mean, wouldn't say it was coming because mm. they've been doing well. But I think we did say last week that of all the teams that are up the top, they're probably the only one that, that you know, with the way that they're playing – they're you feel they were in a bit higher. of a false position? I think so. I think so. And not mm. to suggest that this was, you know, a 3 nil away from at home was coming because they have been actually quite good at home. But, um, look, I think there's there's definitely a lot of work for Giancarlo Italiano still to do there, which in saying that there's a lot of teams playing better football and down the bottom of the table. So they'd have to be happy with where they're at and, and no doubt hopefully just a speed bump for them. How good's Clayton Taylor, by the way? Mm. Mulcher, you will have watched him. Yeah calling uh, MPL in New South Wales. Were, were you aware of his talent coming through emergency? And are you a bit surprised that Sydney FC didn't keep him or was that always going to be the case because he was going to try and have to dislodge Robert Mack, Joe Lolly? It was interesting because 
one of that. He was going to have to move one of the big signings out mm. of the way, which I think was always going to be difficult. He was a player who showed a lot of glimpses, Clayton. He scored a lot of brilliant individual goals where he just wheeled through defenders. I didn't know if that was going to carry into the A-League, playing against sort of the next standard, but it has. He's, he's running and his directness with the football mm. is outstanding. And I think it was interesting, I was talking to Teo Pelizzari, who's called a lot of those MPL New South yeah. Wales games. He reckons it was a case of Sydney actually knew him too well. They, they saw the flaws rather than the obvious ability, mm. and that might have been the reason they let him go. I tend to agree, because there are flaws to his game. His decision-making at times isn't perfect, but he scares defenders the way he runs with them, uh, runs at them. His pace is electric, and his control of the football, as you can see, is, mm. is just terrific. It's a tough one, isn't it, for clubs? Because sometimes that gap... I remember Charles Lockerlingoy, yeah, who came, came through... And I remember speaking to a coach at the time. Was, I in. think it was Steve, still Steve Corica then. And he said to me, you know, we're low to let him go because you see him at training and he's mm. a world beater, but yeah. he's just not quite able to do it on match day. Um, and they persevered with him for quite a while. Mm. Anyway, Clayton Taylor's doing a super job for the Jets. Mm. Uh, final game that we're going to review is Perth Glory 1, Melbourne City 2. That was at HBF Park on Friday night. Uh, how good to see Matt Leckie back among the goals ahead of the Asian Cup with so much bad news around in terms of injuries. Mm. He's the good news story, Broski. He is, um, yeah, obviously for Australia, but definitely for Melbourne City. I, I think they're a, they're a completely different side when he's not there. He just gives them something completely different. We know his quality, obviously, and um, but yeah, I think just the way he creates, the way he gets himself in the box and, and provides someone other than Jamie McLaren to have to score the goals. Um, and it just, again, highlighted how important he is to that squad when he's there. So a big win. I mean, Perth Glory struggling themselves at the moment. And, and yeah. last year where they were so good at home. Um, They've got to win their home games, uh, haven't they? Because they have their away to. form is so poor. Yeah, look, again, a club definitely that I'm worried for. Um, for Alan Stajic as well, there, there was a lot of uh, hope in him coming in and what he could do with his team. But at the moment, they're just not really responding. The, the performances we just said at home they were so good and so exciting last year you know like you obviously they'd get on a plane and be a completely different team out this way but at home they, they at least they were exciting they they won a, m- most of their games there this year not even that so a lot of work there for them okay as for city uh, they're about to kick off their afc champions league game crucial one it is as well against zhejiang uh, 8:30 p.m. Uh, that match being played at uh, princess park and city needing to win uh, to have a chance of going through ahead of Ventfret Kofu, who kick off against Buriram United uh, at the same time. And we'll wrap all the Asian action up uh, with Paul Williams bits later on in the show. That was the round in review, thanks to Paramount Plus, the A League, where stars are made every round, every game, live only on Paramount Plus. And coming up this weekend, Friday night, it's the Alawisi Derby. Western United against Brisbane Raw at six, then the Wanderers against Adelaide. That's a 7.45 kickoff. Uh, on Saturday, another double header: Newcastle Jets against Perth Glory at six, and then the Big Blue. Ooh, tough one that, isn't it? For both clubs, Melbourne victory against Sydney FC, seven forty-five p.m. at Amy Park. On Sunday, it is Melbourne City against the Central Coast Mariners. Clearly, Amy Park's okay for the weekend because it's staging <laughs> three games. Uh, and then on Monday, Macarthur entertain Wellington Phoenix at seven. That game put back because, of course, uh, Macarthur are in AFC Cup action away to Cebu of the Philippines on Thursday night. Another quick break, and uh, then we will have our interview of the week, which uh, this week features MacArthur FC's Clayton Lewis. 
Our A-Leagues interview of the week is thanks to Paramount Plus. Don't miss the superstars of the A-Leagues on Paramount Plus. And this week we are in conversation with one of MacArthur's, well, I guess you could call him unsung stars that has helped propel the Bulls to the top of the league, New Zealand international Clayton Lewis. Evening, Clayton. How's it going? Yeah, very good. Thanks for joining us on the show. Uh, Broski's here as well. Uh, You are seven games unbeaten to start the season, a point clear at the top. Uh, is it fair to say that it's gone better than even you thought it might after the club won the wooden spoon last season, albeit before your time at the club, of course? Yeah, look, I think, uh, you know, I can't really speak for, you know, what happened last season, but I think, um, you know, in pre-season we, we spoke a lot about, um, you know, changing what happened last year. And I think, you know, everyone's bought into the way that Malay wants to wants to play. And, um, you know, I think it's working at the moment. I think, uh, you know, it wasn't our best performance on the weekend, but... You know, we're, we'll take any uh, three points we can. And, yeah, to still be unbeaten is, uh, yeah, something to be uh, happy about for sure. And definitely the uh, the return of Uli de Villa to fitness as well this year, along with the arrival of, um, you know, not just yourself, but uh, Germain seems to have added that, that difference of, of quality as well to the squad this year. Yeah, for sure. I think, uh, you know, Uli looks like he's back to his best. I think, um, you know, he had his uh, knee injury last year and, you could see in preseason, um, you know, he was getting frustrated that he, you know, wasn't, you know, riding the challenges like he normally does. But you can, you can see now that he's uh, back to full fitness and he's looking as sharp as ever. So, um, you know, long may that continue. And uh, yeah, with Valera, I think he's a, you know, he's a top striker. He's, you know, played at the highest of levels for for a long time now. So to have someone like him uh, leading our line is, uh, you know, pleasing as well. Clayton, you played with Oli at Wellington Phoenix, of course, for a while. So you know each other's style of play. Is there almost an instinctive understanding between the two of you on the pitch? Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, when, when we were together at Wellington, um, you know, when he decided he was going to leave, I think, uh, you know, we had a combo that would like to play with each other again at some stage. And, you know, fortunate enough for me that uh, that happens to be right now. And, yeah, I'm loving playing with him um, and, you know, you, you know, you can give him the ball, you know, with five players around him and, you know, he'll be able to get out of that. So it's, uh, it's, it's something good knowing that I can give him the ball at any stage. Uh, you scored a lot of late goals this season. Uh, was that resilience something that Miller Stajowski targeted during the offseason? Because even against Sydney at the weekend, I mean, they were pushing for an equaliser with 10 men before you got the second goal. Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, where. Uh, we, you know, we're, we're hard done by, I think, on our own doing um, against City and, uh, well, Melbourne City and Melbourne Victory. I think we let ourselves down there. Um, so it's nice to, you know, be on the end of uh, that, that result against Adelaide. And then, yeah, I think, uh, you know, it's always hard playing against 10 men. I think uh, Sydney really pushed us um, on the weekend. And, yeah, it's, it's good, good for the boys to be able to, you know, knuckle down and, you know, be on the right end of the, that result again. And looking at your own form, uh, you spent three years at Wellington Phoenix. Um, did, was it a change of scenery that you needed from being in New Zealand, moving moving out here to Macarthur? How did that move to the Bulls come about? Yeah, I think so. I think um, you know I, I needed a change. I think um, me and my partner were doing long distance for three years. Uh, she had her job in Auckland, so um, it, it was tough on you know the, the off the field stuff. And I think uh, there's a massive part in you know me being happy on the field as well. So I think. Being able to live together now, um, enjoy my football and, you know, being able to have a little bit more freedom um, is something that I'm enjoying. And, you know, hopefully, you know, we can continue um, building on what we have so far in, in the league and hopefully in Asia too. 
And of course, you're a visa player, Clayton. Not not too many Kiwis get that status. Uh, does that put a bit of extra pressure on you? And as a second part to that question, do you think that time it's time that that rule was revised, given that we're about to have two New Zealand teams in this competition? Yeah, obviously, you know, there's a little bit of added pressure, but um, it's something I thrive on. I love, I love being able to, you know, dictate the play if I can, and you know, if that means. And me being on the ball a lot more than than normal, then I'm happy for that. And yeah, being a visa player is uh, something to be proud of, I think, as well. Um, especially the Kiwi, you can bring in, you know, all these South American ballers. Um, but uh, it's, uh, it's nice to have that little um, thing to cherish. And yeah, I think it definitely needs to change. I think you can see now uh, so many Kiwi players going overseas and you know doing well as well. So I think it will only help you know young kids coming through in New Zealand if we can come to these Aussie teams and play regular football. And not just a Kiwi, Clayton, but, of course, you're an Indigenous New Zealander as well by heritage. Uh, we talk mm-hmm. a fair bit in this country about uh, the lack of Indigenous players in the A-League, certainly in the men's competition. What's the situation yeah. like over in New Zealand? Yeah, I think it's uh, it's getting better. I think, you know, a lot, a lot of kids still grow up uh, wanting to be All Blacks. I think, mm. uh, you know, the All Blacks have been a massive thing for New Zealand. I think uh, a lot of a lot of kids aspire to be rugby players, but it's good to see now um, there's so many kids now joining junior football and, yeah, a lot of Māori heritage is, is now coming through. So, um, you know, if there's anything that kind of I can do or you know, other uh, Indigenous players back home um, that, that can do, I think we're all willing to put our hands up in, in any way possible to help, uh, you know, keep bringing through those uh, those young kids. Well, you're the role model as well, Clayton, so uh, <laughs> it's on you, mate. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, in, in terms of Māori, it's probably, probably me. Um, yeah. You know, Alex Rufa is, uh, is Māori too. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you've got a few kind of Samoans around. Um, you've got Bill Tuloma in the MLS who can who does a lot when he comes back uh, into Auckland. So it's nice to see, and hopefully, you know, I can do more in the future. Well, speaking of Auckland, obviously they've got a club coming in to the A-League uh, next year. What, what do you think that'll do for football in New Zealand, having that derby and for the people up there? Yeah, it's massive. I think, um, you know, it's something that, you know, we've always wanted. I think growing up when there was only one team to play for, it was it was hard. You know, if you... If you weren't in that in that mix, it was hard to get a get in there. So to have an Auckland team, um, you know, the biggest city in New Zealand, I think it's a uh, it's a big plus for the country. And yeah, the little Auckland uh, Wellington rivalry uh, is is always big in the in the rugby and stuff. So it's uh, it's going to be good. And you know, hopefully, you now we can produce many more young kids coming through. Well, before all that, you've got a couple of big games coming up. Uh, the Bulls are in good form in the AFC Cup as well. Top of the group, uh, you face Cebu on Thursday evening, needing a win to go through. I know that you've been uh, left back in New South Wales for this. I think you've played every game so far this season. But how have you found uh, competing in Asian competition and then uh, coming home and having to back up playing in the A-League as well? Yeah, look, I've, uh, I've enjoyed, um, you know, playing in Asia. It's uh, something, you know, I've always wanted to do. And, yeah, to be, to be able to do that's uh, a massive honour and, you know, the, the club did, did well in the cup last year to get us to this point. Um, and, yeah, it's obviously tough. You know, you fly in. Well, I think the boys will fly back, get back Saturday morning. And I know earlier on in the season we played the next day against the Mariners. Um, you know, we've got another day uh, to prepare for the Phoenix. So um, hopefully the boys can, you know, get the job done over there and then get back as quick as possible to recover for Monday. 
And looking at that clash on Monday against your old club, uh, no doubt that'll be a special one for you. Yeah, hundred percent. I think uh, you know I've got a lot, a lot of uh, good friends there, but um, you know I won't I won't be friends until after that final whistle. Uh, <laughs> that's for sure. And, you know, hopefully we can keep this unbeaten run going, and you know a little bit further from them uh, on the table. Have the text messages started? Has Alex Roofer texted you to say he's going to give you a kick on uh, on Monday night? Oh, he hasn't, but I know it's coming, that's for sure. <laughs> I'm sure it will do. I uh, just want to finish off, Clayton, by talking about uh, your international aspirations because uh, you played in the All-Whites last game against Ireland, which you drew 1-1. Uh, and, of course, Oceania, the, the region that New Zealand is still in, now have a direct spot to the World Cup. So... Uh, being in North America in 2026 is is a very realistic goal, not just for the All Whites, but for you as well. Yeah, 100%. I think, you know, as a footballer, you always grow up wanting to play at World Cups. And, you know, it's it's been hard for New Zealand um, because we obviously always kind of compete against uh, the Pacific Island nations and then always have to play, uh, you know, the fifth destination of wherever it might be. And, you know, it's always tough, um, you know, not really getting these uh, big fixtures and then going up against um, some big powerhouse nations. And now, unfortunately, we haven't qualified for a while, so this uh, puts us in uh, good stead for that. And hopefully, uh, you know, we can prepare well and keep getting these big fixtures because it's going to be a massive time for for me and for New Zealand football. So hopefully, um, you know, all the boys can continue you know, their be, careers and yep. yeah, yeah, and and hopefully get to that World Cup. And, of course, before that, Oceania Nations Cup in June next year in Tonga. So you've got a busy uh, few months ahead. Uh, Clayton, thanks so much for joining us tonight on The Global Game. Wish you uh, all the very best, all your teammates, for that game against Cebu. Uh, and then, um, yeah, against your old mates, against Wellington Phoenix on Monday. Thanks, mate. Perfect. Cheers, mate. Thank you. Now we begin the second part of our Asian Cup previews with a look at Group B, which of course is Australia's group. So we'll start with the Socceroos, the nickname given to the team by journalist Tony Horstead during the 1960s and formally adopted in the 70s. Competing in their fifth Asian Cup, the Roos of course won the tournament in 2015. Just Matt Ryan, Aziz Bayic and Matt Leckie remain from Ange Postacoglu's squad. But performances at the World Cup in Qatar last year mean Graham Arnold's team go into this tournament as one of the favourites. Group B isn't the easiest section, but it's one Australia should be able to navigate. Syria gave the Roos a thorough examination in the 2017 World Cup Asian playoff before eventually succumbing, while Uzbekistan are a force on the rise within the region. They took Arnold's team all the way to penalties in 2019 before Australia won through to the quarterfinals of the Asian Cup. Selection-wise, the Roos' biggest issue remains the inability to find a regular goal scorer in the mould of the long now since departed Tim Cahill. Leckie, McLaren, Duke, Goodwin, Boyle and Irvine are all capable of chipping in, but a true goal-scoring number nine remains elusive. Hence calls from some quarters to include Bruno Fornaroli on the back of his stellar form in the A-League. Matty Ryan's fractured cheekbone gives Arnold a further headache in goal, potentially. The coach is in his second spell as national team boss. Collectively, he's led the team in more games than any other coach in the country's history after winning domestic titles with the Central Coast Mariners and Sydney FC. His World Cup exploits earned him an extended four-year contract to take him through to the next finals in North America. He prefers a 4-2-3-1 or 4-3-3 shape with big Harry Suttar, both a defensive linchpin and attacking threat via set pieces. 
Martin Boyle will be hoping to remain fit after missing the last two major tournaments due to injuries right on the eve of competition. Australia played India at the 2011 Asian Cup, winning comfortably 4-0. They played Syria in the 2019 group stage, winning 3-2. And then, as mentioned, edged out Uzbekistan on spot kicks in the round of 16. Their first real hurdle this time, if they top the group as expected, could well be Saudi Arabia in the quarterfinals. The Socceroos' opponents in their opening group game are the Blue Tigers, India. One of the powerhouses of Asian football in the 50s and 60s, they made their only World Cup appearance in the 1950 tournament before finishing runners-up in the 1964 Asian Cup. To date, their best performance on either stage. The country's obsession with cricket has meant football consistently plays second fiddle, but there has been something of a renaissance in the country over the past decade on the back of increased investment and the establishment of the Indian Super League back in 2014, where several Australians, including Jason Cummings, Dimitri Petratos, Jordan Elsie, Paolo Retre and Joshua Sotirio currently ply their trade. The national team are led by Croatian Igor Stimac, who enjoyed great success as a player and then sporting director at Hajduk Split in the late 90s and early 2000s before coaching his home nation from 2012 until 2014 when they ranked as high as four in the world. He lines his team up in a 4-2-3-1 formation, which can be adjusted to a 4-3-3 against weaker opposition, with legendary striker Sonal Chetri entrusted with the captaincy and responsibility of scoring most of their goals. With 93 goals across his 145 caps, Chetri ranks fourth on the all-time international goal-scoring charts, behind only Cristiano Ronaldo, Lionel Messi and Iranian legend Ali Day. Now 39, Chetri is likely at his final Asian Cup, but is supported by Manvir Singh and Arion Tapa, both teammates of Jason Cummings at Mohun Bagan, as well as exciting youngsters Vikram Singh and Laleng Mawia Rolte, who also play their club football in India. Their start to World Cup qualifying this time around was promising, scoring a 1-0 win in Q8 before being humbled 3-0 by Qatar in Odisha. Progression past the group stage would be seen as a terrific achievement for the Blue Tigers, who haven't gone past that point since making the final back in 1964, but drawn in a tough group. Any result across their three games will be seen as a success. India have faced the Socceroos on only one previous occasion. That was back in the 2011 Asian Cup, where the Aussies ran out 4-0 winners thanks to a brace from Tim Cahill and goals to Harry Kuehl and Brett Holman. The White Wolves of Uzbekistan are a rising force in Asia. They've reached the knockout phase in each of the last five Asian Cups, only losing to Australia on spot kicks in the round of 16 four years ago. The latest iteration of the team is built around an under-23 side, which were Asian champions in 2018 and finished runners-up four years later. Their under-17 team reached the quarterfinals of the FIFA Under-17 World Cup in Indonesia this year showing that the pipeline of talent continues. The team are led by Shretsko Katanec, a 60-year-old Slovene who has previous experience in the region as coach of both the UAE and Iraq. He also led his native Slovenia at the 2002 World Cup. 
He prefers a three at the back system, utilising the Pactacor duo of Kojakbar Alijanov and Farouk Safiev as the wingbacks. His team has made a great start to World Cup qualifying, beating Turkmenistan 3-1 and coming from 2-0 down to draw at home to perennial regional heavyweights Iran. The team's undoubted star, though, is striker and captain Eldor Shomurodov, who plays his club football in Italy with Cagliari on loan from Serie A giants Roma. Shomurodov has an impressive 38 goals in 69 international games. and aged just 28, he's already overtaken Maxim Shatskik as the nation's all-time leading scorer. But that next generation offers a fine supporting cast. Winger Abosbek Faizuliev was snapped up by CSK Moscow after winning the Asian Under-23 Cup MVP award this year, while 19-year-old Abdukodir Kusanov was pounced on by French league on club Lens after the same tournament. With the expansion of the World Cup, Uzbekistan should have enough to seal a place at a first ever World Cup finals, but they are already regular contenders on the regional stage and they will go to Qatar in expectation of reaching another quarter-final at the very least. Uzbekistan have never lost to India, have a mixed record against Syria and have played Australia on four previous occasions, losing all four but only on penalties in 2019. They've never scored against the Socceroos, but if any generation can change that, it's this one. Of course, their women's team will get their own day of destiny with Australia a month later as they face off with the Matildas for a place at the Paris Olympics. Syria's Kaysun Eagles continue to punch above their weight on the continental stage, qualifying for this tournament by topping a group which featured China and the Philippines while continuing to play all their home fixtures in Dubai. This is their sixth entry into the tournament and they'll view this difficult group as their best chance yet to progress, considering the additional qualification spots available to the best third-place sides and their recent record of results against both Australia and the Uzbeks. More on that in a moment. Syria are led by Argentine Hector Cooper, who guided Egypt to the World Cup back in 2018 and has managerial experience that spans three decades in as far-flung locations as the Democratic Republic of Congo, Georgia, and towards the top tier of the game with Valencia, who he took to a European Cup final in 2000, Inter Milan, Real Betis, and two stints at Mallorca. He took over as boss in February this year after the sacking of Gassan Matuk, who oversaw a string of friendly losses in 2022. Syria's setup under Cooper has most often been a 4-4-2 with Omar Al-Soma, such a handful for the Socceroos in the two-legged World Cup qualifying tie five years ago, still leading the line as the talisman ahead of a well-set defence marshaled by Taya Kruma and Omar Al-Madani, who hold nearly 100 national team caps between them. Syria will be hoping to progress from this group, even if it is as the third-place side, given they finished ahead of the Uzbeks in World Cup qualifying for the 2018 tournament, beating them 1-0 in Malaysia thanks to a 91st-minute Omar Kirabin penalty before pushing the Socceroos to extra time in the fourth round, where only the post denied them a roll of the dice in a penalty shootout. This outfit doesn't look quite as strong on recent form. They scraped past North Korea 1-0 in Dubai before being thumped by Japan 5-0 at the same venue five days later in the start to 2026 World Cup qualifying. The Syrians will take on the Socceroos in their second match after opening their campaign against Uzbekistan. 
Knowing a result in either of those matches, as well as a win over India in their third game, will likely see them progress. Yes, our Premier League update with Spencer Pryor, thanks to Schnitz. Got that winning taste right now. Schnitz, handcrafted schnitzels made fresh, made just for you. Have you got one of those schnitzels yet, Spencer? No. Sound as a pound, Simon. Now you're doing. I'm sound as a pound. <laughs> <laughs> is, is that mank or is that scouse? It was a bit of mank. It right. was meant to be. Okay. It was awful. Rubbish, though, wasn't it? Um, let's right. talk Premier League. Uh, Spurs are back in the winner's circle, uh, thumping 4-1 yeah. win over Newcastle. Um, Ange is good again. And a brace for Richarlison. Unbelievable, wasn't it? He's, uh, it? When you think at the start of the season, he wasn't even going to be – they were talking about getting rid of him. And that's that's what Ange kind of has done. He's put his arm around the player and, and now he's starting to score goals. It's good for Tottenham. They're starting to get some players back fit and, you know, they've had a blip. Hopefully this can be a, a little stage for them to kick on. I don't think uh, I don't think Newcastle will much drop. It's yeah. a bit of a tough time at the moment for them. Uh, they're going through a rough patch. but They've got injuries as well, haven't they? Newcastle. And that's the point. Like they've had, they've had so many injuries that it's just caught up with them. The same as it did with Tottenham for a while. Yeah. So, you know, we know what the Christmas period is like, Simon. You you want to make sure you've got your players fit over that Christmas period because that's what's going to be defined sort of where you, where you go towards the back end of the season. At Manchester United, Spenner, uh, I mean, goodness me, played off the park at Old Trafford oh. against Bournemouth in a 3-0 loss. Uh, there's been, obviously, since he's come in, an obsession with Ten Hag. Um, is getting rid of him the answer? And are the players escaping a lot of the scrutiny, do you think? I don't know. Um, do you know what, Broski? I think I think the, the biggest turning point from the game was the crowd booing the players, or I don't, I don't know whether they're booing the coach or booing the players. But you know, Old Trafford is usually a place where they do. I'll give them one thing: they do stay behind their. their they do normally get behind their players there, mm. and they don't normally give them much abuse. But at the end of the game, when they started booing, again, I don't know if they're booing the coach or the players or the chairman and the owners. Probably the owners, let's be honest. <laughs> they probably boo. Oh, yeah. Like, but it, it was such a dire performance. Yeah. And, you know, they've got, a, they've got a massive two or three games coming up, right? So they've got Bayern Munich coming up and then... And then they go. Then they go play Liverpool away. Yeah. They play Liverpool away, and then I think they go West Ham away. So they've got a very, very tough three games coming up. That you know, and 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 yet we saw in November they won all their league games. So it's so inconsistent with them at the moment. And I've seen Tenor come out and say, you know, we can beat anyone, but the reality is they can also lose to anyone. That's mm. the kind of. <laughs> You, yeah. you you wouldn't bet on them. You wouldn't bet on them because you just don't know what Man United's going to come out. And by the way, they'll go to Liverpool next week without Bruno Fernandes as well because he is suspended after uh, getting his fifth yellow card of the season in that defeat to Bournemouth. Um, talking to Liverpool, they're the new league leaders after coming from behind to topple Crystal Palace uh, 2-1 at Selhurst Park. Mo Salah... Uh, with an equaliser, then Harvey Elliott in the 91st minute. Now, I saw a quote by Jurgen Klopp saying he'd never seen his team play so badly for 76 minutes and win. Uh, first of all, is he right? And secondly, 
that's a very good habit to have, isn't it? Winning if you're not playing well. Well, I also saw an interview from uh, Roy Hodgson, who was basically berating the official for, you know, the the nonsense yellow card that then turned into a, a, a red, right? So it, it was never a yellow and it did completely change the game. I thought Palace were excellent. So where Klopp, where Klopp said he's never seen Liverpool play so bad, I'd rather say Palace were actually doing a brilliant job on them. And, you know, Roy Hodgson set them up very, very good. The the the, the red card changed. It changed the game. It really did. And um, it was back to the wall stuff. And, yeah, they grinded it out. It was a great finish for Marvielli in the end. It was a good finish to win the goal, uh, win the game. Um, and, yeah, I, th- I think that, that's the sort of thing that champions are made of. It's really funny, though, right? So all my mates around here that might be supporting Liverpool, they're really <laughs> keeping their head down. They don't want to suddenly pipe up and say they're top of the table. What's what's going on at City? I've had a they, few. They, <laughs> no, mine, mine are all keeping their head down because they know better. Because this That's is, um, it's yeah, it's a, it's a, there's a long way to go. But, yeah, it's a good sign for Liverpool, you know. That's Going and winning ugly is all right, especially off the back of the way they went and won last week. And Aston Villa's incredible run continued um, a week after beating Man City. They they then uh, did it again, beating Arsenal 1-0. Uh, incredibly, they've won all eight games at home, so incredibly strong there. They've beaten Chelsea as well as Spurs this season. Just an incredible run they're going on. Emery's just a, an absolute weldy of a manager, right? The way... The way he set his team up against Man City in the week, just they got they got they got battered. Man City they couldn't get out there they couldn't get out of their half they couldn't they couldn't play through, and and the way he set the team up to press was brilliant. Very different against Arsenal. We're just hearing some of the players talking about you know we got an early goal and then it was very different, and they set a good low block. Their keeper was outstanding. He made a few brilliant saves. Um, Oligard missed the couple of sitters and and you know I think Arteta came out and basically said that it, it just came down to that lack of finesse and, and ruthlessness inside the six yard box with a couple of finishes so it, to be fair Arsenal could have come away from a, with it with a draw and, and maybe deserved it but we can't take anything away from Villa because they've just yeah the way they've played over the last oh the last two months has been outstanding so it's a it's a, a good thing going on at Villa at the moment, and and, and honestly, I think they could be they could push for a top spot, top four spot. But you don't think they're title contenders? I don't think they're title contenders. I think they I think top four maybe, but I don't think they're title contenders. Even with the last couple of results they've had, I I, I just don't think over the course of the season it, they'll they'll be able to maintain it, Simon. But mm take nothing away from them. I think that their their performances over the last month have been exceptional. Okay. Um, last one. Luton 1, Manchester City 2. Uh, I watched this game and at halftime I thought, here we go again. We absolutely dominated. They had one shot in the entire half and they scored from it with yeah. the last kick and a half. Uh, but they showed That's their it. character in the second half, didn't they? Uh, is that the the start of things to turn around a little bit for Pep Guardiola? He's, he's got one or two injuries starting to heal as well. Yeah, but he's also got one or two missing, right? So yep. we don't know how bad Haaland's is. Doco's obviously struggling. I think we're seeing, you know, we we. I, I, it was a grind of a performance to to go down to Luton, and and Luton have done some incredible stuff so far already, right? I think um, 
you know, with the squad that they've had coming in, I think they're, I think they're doing all right. And, and they're going to make it really, really difficult for sides at Kenilworth Road. It's a horrible, horrible place to play. Absolutely horrible. Played mm. there when it was... I actually played there when it was uh, the synthetic. Yes. That's how old I am. Yes. Yeah. I tell you, it's it's a horrible place to commentate as well. I've commentated there, and you can barely see the pitch. There are so many stanchions yeah. in front of you. Anyway, they're doing but a great it's good job. For Man City, man. Yeah, yeah. It's it's good for Man City. It's a good start to get them get them going again. You know, if they, if they come away from their draw, then everybody's going. Oh, hang on a minute, this is really a major blip. But yeah. you know, Jack Grealish steps stepped up. Good to see him getting on the score sheet with Haaland out. And um, yeah, let's hope they can keep building on that. Okay, elsewhere, Everton's good run since that points deduction continued. A 2-0 win over Chelsea at Goodison. They'd be 10th without their points deduction, which is incredible. And at the bottom, Sheffield United uh, claiming their second win of the season, which pleases Alex Molchanov. That uh, reignites their hopes a little bit, a little bit of staying up this season. Thanks, Spanner. Great to talk to you, mate. We'll talk to you next week. Cheers, mate. Take care, guys. See you. Goodbye. (laughs) That's uh, our Premier League update with Spencer Pryor. Thanks to Schnitz. Home of fresh, golden, handcrafted schnitzels. A reminder, you can listen to the Premier League all week long on SEN. This weekend, it is Nottingham Forest against Tottenham, the early kickoff. Sunday morning, Manchester City against Crystal Palace and Burnley against Everton. Monday morning, Arsenal against Brighton and Liverpool against Manchester United. That is the big one, isn't it? That's the 3.30 a.m. kickoff. All those games available across the SEN network via the SEN app. And uh, just before we go to the break, a update on that Asian Champions League uh, involving Melbourne City. They're still goalless against Zhejiang, but Ventfret Kofu have added a second goal and a third and a goal. Third. Wow, yes. they've got Brilliant. a third. So that game would appear to be over. Ventfret looked to be heading the group. So Melbourne City look to be finishing in second, but they need to win that game against Zhejiang. We're off to another quick break and... I can't get the words out tonight. (laughs) Zhejiang. We're off to another quick break on the other side of it. We'll talk the women's game with Alicia Carnivas. Yes, time for a look at the women's game alongside Alicia Carnivas. Evening, Alicia. How are you? I'm good. How are you guys? Very good. Uh, the big game in the Liberty A League at the weekend saw Millie Farrow net a hat trick for Perth Glory. So uh, Melbourne City are sent tumbling off the top of the table. Glory replaced them. Was that a bit of a surprise for you? Yeah, definitely a surprise. I thought it would have been a, a bit of a tighter match uh, between the two. We spoke about it last week, being that top of the table clash and both teams being in form um, at this point of the season. But Glory were dominant. I thought Melbourne City's defence went missing quite a fair bit throughout the match, but um, Glory were able to dominate. And, and Millie Farrow, she had a sensational game. Like I really liked the way she she attacks space as a striker and gets herself into really dangerous positions. She was able to exploit them all match, so full credit to her. She was great, and she was the first player to score a hat-trick for Glory since Sam Kerr in, uh, in 2019, which was the last time that the Perth even made the finals. Are they genuine contenders with what you've seen so far this year? Look, they've been the most consistent team since the start of the season, I think. I think they've been pretty consistent in front of goal, which is important, um, but also consistent a- against 
top-tier opponents. I think that only lost coming to Wellington, who I think has also been quite an informed team for the best part of the start of the season. So Perth, for me, are really, really looking um, looking strong and they're looking like they can carry their form all the way through. I think it's it's been a long time coming for the West and it's exciting to see for the league. Uh, we'll talk about Wellington Phoenix in a moment. Uh, before that, I want to ask you about uh, the Cat Smith era, which is underway at uh, Western United. Uh, win over Adelaide, thanks to uh, a sister double act. Uh, last year's mm-hmm. grand finalist back on the right track, do you think? Look, I hope so. I think, as, as we spoke about last year, I thought they were last year. Yes, last season. Gosh, that seems like last year. I thought <laughs> Goes they had quick. a really, really good season. <laughs> Losing track of 2023. They, they had a really good season, I thought, um, in their maiden season. I hope that they can get back on track. Of course, Cat Smith has some work to do still with that squad and to build confidence and cohesion and momentum. We speak about it often. So that's a better result uh, for Western United. I'm sure they'll be pleased with it. Okay, uh, let's talk about Wellington Phoenix. They played out a two-all draw with Melbourne Victory. Uh, Now, as you mentioned, uh, the Knicks have done very well under Paul Temple, and uh, they've got a couple of absentees at the moment. uh, Perhaps started to impact upon the team. Grace Wisniewski, uh, Marissa Vandermeer, both lost to injury. Chloe Knott, of course, uh, sadly has departed the game due to being unable to juggle work commitments and football. Can they deal with that and, uh, and be in contention for the finals? Yeah, look, it's it's a pretty big impact on any team. And we're talking about three, um, I'd argue, key players in Paul Temple's assembly of Wellington Phoenix. Um, of course, with injury, you can't really control that. The disappointing factor for me, unfortunately, is Chloe Knott. Um, that, that old, uh, I guess, hoodoo of, of work versus football, of career versus football creeping up and unfortunately taking a great player out of the game, I think is the most unfortunate. Um, whether or not that can be rectified over in New Zealand, I'm not too sure, but um, just to create that balance for her and perhaps see her back in the lineup. But Paul Temple, I think, again, when you lose three players, you've got going to make some adjustments. Of course, he'll have depth in his squad, but they got off to a flying start, so it's a shame to have so many disruptions at this point. And great to see uh, Courtney Vine back. I mean, she would she would have to be the star of the competition after her World Cup exploits. And um, seeing her back, she mm. won the game for Sydney FC against Newcastle. Do you think she'll be around uh, next season or will she look to move to Europe? You know, I, I, I love to see her here in the A-League. I think it's so important um, to have Matildas, current Matildas in the league. And, and we've seen the likes of Lydia Williams and Kaya Simon come back into the league to bolster that, notwithstanding um, Elise Callan Knight as well. I think Courtney Vine will go uh, to another league, an overseas league next season. I think she needs to go. Um, I think it would be great for her confidence. I think it would be great for her growth as well as a player. And I think she needs to take the next step. She was obviously a star um, of the World Cup and, and, and a star a future star, rather, of the Matildas as well. So I think she needs it for growth. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see her leave Aussie Shores, although that will be hugely disappointing for for Sydney FC, of course. And in terms of her growth then, where where would you like to see her end up if she was to move? Well, I tell you what, after watching that um, Arsenal-Chelsea match on the weekend, the WSL looks pretty red hot at the moment. It looks really, really good um, in terms of crowd numbers and and growth. Um, But 
we, we've spoken a lot about that league and naturally because there's so many Aussies in that league, I still think the place for growth for some of our players is the NWSL, is the American League um, and, and the investment that they're putting into that league in the next three or four years is huge and I think there's going to be some really, really good opportunities over in the US again. Uh, before we round out the chat by talking about the Yaffe Women's Super League, uh, just a word on on two players who are going really well at the moment in the Liberty A League. Vesna Milivojevic, who's mm. who's having a great time of things with Canberra United, uh, is she now the Golden Boot favourite after Holly McNamara's injury? Uh, and a word on Sophie Harding as well, who started to bang in the goals for Robbie Hooker's uh, Western Sydney Wanderers. Yeah, we're just, just touching on uh, on Vesna Milivojevic. How do I say that? Milivojevic. <laughs> Thank you, Simon. Um, Bit of an injury cloud there as well, right, after the, the weekend's match. Not, other than that, I would have seen her definitely as um, that, that golden boot forerunner, for sure. Um, but injury clouds again, which is a bit of a, a scare. And I think for, for everyone, when we saw her go down, it was a bit of a concern. So for me, definitely, she's got every bit of potential in Canberra, just such a high goal-scoring team at the moment as well. The way they go forward is is very, very good. But Sophie Harding, I think it was those changes at, at Wanderers as well, has a, a fair a fair chance of rivaling that now if there is an injury cloud over Vesna. If she, she is out for a little while, it's an opportunity for Sophie to sort of make some ground, I guess, and, and try and snatch that from, from behind. It's not the dreaded ACL, is it, again? Well, it was a bit of a, it was a knee grab, definitely. So we, I haven't heard of anything of any results just yet. Um, I'm sure they're pending. Uh, usually, what would we 48, 36 hours after? Yeah, yeah. So we we wait, but I, I really hope not because that'll take the tally up to six or seven, I believe, off the top yeah. of my head this That's season alone, which is huge. That's not yeah. good. Um, so it's Perth Glory top, 16 points on goal difference from Melbourne City. Uh, Wellington Phoenix in third, Melbourne Victory, Western United and Sydney FC rounding out the final spots. Uh, this weekend, Perth host Sydney, Melbourne City go to Central Coast Mariners. Uh, one final question, Alicia. The big game in the ever Women's Super League this weekend just gone. Arsenal hammering Chelsea 4-1 in front of over 59,000 at the Emirates, which is incredible. Uh, the two London clubs now yeah. level on points at the top. Are we starting to see... Arsenal or Osenal, as they've been nicknamed in this part of the world, because the Australian <laughs> players emerge as the dominant force um, over Chelsea a bit. Emma Hayes, of course, is going at the end of the season. Look, I, I I love it. I love to see it, and I think they've been such great rivals for so long. Um, yeah, I think this could be the the turning of the tide, so to speak. I thought Arsenal were by far uh, the more dominant team on the weekend and they absolutely um, obviously filled the Emirates just about but also their performance was outstanding. Caitlin Ford was sensational. Again uh, Catley's delivery is a goal of one of her, her corner deliveries as well like just our Aussies are everywhere they're in amongst it and it's, it's great to see but I think Arsenal have just, they've just gone up a gear on Chelsea and um, look I wouldn't be upset if we saw a change of uh, title winners over in the <laughs> WSL put it that way. It'd be nice Nice to see a little red up there. You, you get know? you're getting bored of Chelsea winning everything, are you? <laughs> uh, look, would I like to see it for Emma Hayes as her exit? Absolutely, but uh, you know, I, I think a little red wouldn't hurt London. Wouldn't okay. be 
wouldn't okay. be too bad. Um, well, <laughs> Sam Kerr clearly disagrees. She was pictured at the weekend as holding up four fingers to Arsenal fans <laughs> who were yeah. goading her uh, in reference to the number of Super League titles that they've won. Uh, and a big game for Chelsea, incidentally, in the UEFA Women's Champions League this week. They go to Hucken. Uh, before they host Real Madrid in the final rotation of games, Hucken are top of their group. So Sam's uh, team need to take something from that trip to Sweden. Uh, Alicia, we've got to let you go. Thank you so much as ever. We'll speak to you uh, same time next week, if that's okay. Fabulous. Easy, guys. Enjoy. See you, Thanks, Alicia. Alicia. That's uh, Alicia Carnavas with uh, the women's game. Half time in those two big Asian Champions League matches. Ventfret Kofu 3 0 up against Buriram United and seemingly good to top that section, which also involves Melbourne City. They are goalless at the break at Prince's Park in Melbourne against Zhejiang of China. They need to win to be one of those best second-place teams through uh, to the next round, the knockout phase. We're off to another break. On the other side of it, we'll answer some of your texts and tweets. Well, for the next few minutes, as we tend to do at this time of the show, we'll answer some of your texts and your tweets. Uh, Going to start with this one from Tonmoy Biswas, who uh, tweeted us at Global Game SEN. Uh, and he asks, any updates have you heard about Canberra and their A-League men's team? I heard APL set a deadline of the 15th of December for them to get things in order if they're to join next season. I have to say, I hadn't heard about that deadline. I did... Uh, try and get in contact with one or two people today and uh, they tell me there is nothing new to report, which is, I guess, a bit of a concern. If that deadline is there, we don't know 100% that it is, Sproski. don't know whether you've heard anything. I haven't heard anything at all. No. Oh, Turn your mic on, come on, mate. Well, it, <laughs> again, another studio, different buttons. Um, I haven't heard anything at all about Canberra, uh, which is odd, yeah, given I, I haven't heard definitely anything about a deadline and I don't yeah. think there would be one. I think uh, the, the main thing is trying to get a squad there and a club and, and things going. So there can't be a deadline without someone interested in in, in, uh, in putting a you know club together. So Well, given that we've got Auckland coming yeah. in next year, you would hope we'd have Canberra as well because then we get up to a 14-team competition. Mm. If we're going to go to 13, it's going to be awkward no, again, no. isn't it? Anyway, we'll see what happens. Uh, the, uh, the news is there is no news as far as we're aware. <laughs> um, this one from simply called football fan when will western united start playing at their training center have they actually finished building the training center or is it surrounding infrastructure like car parks uh, that is unfinished uh, i did contact the club today to try and find out uh, the the closest that i've i've got to a date is that they hope to play a game in the summer at Tani, which is in this season. Mm. I don't think there is any definitive date, although they say they're making good progress with all the different stakeholders. But, yep, as ever, we are waiting. Interesting. Yeah, ground, what, what will it hold? Uh, I think it's 5,000 to start okay. off with. Yeah, just, yeah. Um, just a little interesting note. I was scrolling through some of the state league draws this week, and all the Western United games of their lower team are scheduled to be played at Tarnit with that season kicking off in February. Right. They haven't got TBCs in there. They're saying they're playing at Tarnit then. So mm. we'll see if that holds. Okay. Uh, from the same uh, Twitter football fan, any progress on the Jets and glory ownership? No, I, I think I spoke, was it last week or the week before, that I'd, I'd spoken to Cordamentha, who are uh, conducting those sales, if you like. Uh, they say that they hope to have a new owner for the Jets by Christmas, although it probably won't be announced until the new year. Uh, no further news on the glory, I'm afraid, as yet. This one is an interesting one 
from Nathan Jones Broski. Today marks one year, says Nathan, to the day from the APL Grand Final debacle, his words, not ours, and the initial announcement. On reflection, how much damage are we still dealing with from it? Some are starting to forgive, but everyone hasn't forgotten, and there's maybe some who still haven't and maybe never will and won't return. Thoughts? Well, if you look across the league, I mean, our attendance is down, you know, since then. They're slightly up, actually. Not by much, but slightly. So I don't think there's been much. I think, look, there are fan, the fans were upset about it, but mm. ultimately the real fans continued showing up, continued supporting, or maybe didn't for a little while to make their point known. Yeah. See, I disagree with the term real fans because I think you can be a real fan and have a protest, you know. To, we, no, they we did, do, but they... Okay. Even in a democracy, by not turning up, I mean. And, okay, but since then it's been yeah. reversed, the decision, yeah. so those real fans should come back, right? Well, I mean, maybe some are, t- uh, are too disillusioned. I don't know. You know, it, I mean, it's uh, Nathan who's, who's asking the question, are we still dealing with damage from it? Um, my view is that, yeah, probably some residual. I think things are obviously better than they were. Um, I applauded the decision to overturn the sale of the grand final. We've now got a Unite round, which is going to take place in January, which I think will be great. Um, but I wasn't in favour of the grand final being sold to Sydney in the first place. And I think they've, in hindsight, and it probably took too long, but they overturned it, which is the correct decision. We all know that. Are all the fans back on board? Probably not. Probably not. And I think you can probably go back to, you know, before COVID as Mm. well, where we started losing some supporters, Mm. not necessarily because of that decision. Um, We're certainly not where we need to be. Uh, And it is incumbent that, you know, all clubs work hard to get fans through the door. It's not the only thing that matters, but it is a very visual barometer of the health of the A-League. Yeah, and that lack of trust would still be there as well. Um, mm. You know, uh, there's definitely been some damage done. I think, in, again, I'm looking purely on, on numbers and, and, and that's not the right way, I guess, to look at it. But yeah. fans were hurt by what was happened. They felt like they weren't being heard. They've since come together. Um, you know, I had a lot of chats with the uh, the Cove on on um, you know before the semi final mm. with what happened there. So I feel like they feel as though the uh, the league is doing yep. their bit to you know get things in the right direction again and, and listen to the fans. Uh, but look, ultimately, we do still need people to show up, right? One thing I will say about the supporters this season is the active support has been phenomenal. Yes. Yeah, terrific. The, and, you know, not always large in number, but even as far as the Western United and Bulls travelling fans on the yes. on the weekend were outstanding. The Cove staying through that two-hour delay and They're basically... doing their best. You know, the, the ones that are rusted on, my goodness, we must... You know, when things are going well, because they get cop a lot of flack, the fans mm. of the A-League. I think over the, the first two months of the season, they've been absolutely mm. outstanding. The Den, coming back to Suncorp as well, have been absolutely fantastic. Here, here. A couple of texts to 0457-736-736. Chris in Brisbane. ACL injuries do seem to be more common in the women's game. How much do the subpar pitches they're forced to play on here in Australia contribute to that? Any thoughts on that, Broski? Um, you played on a lot of pitches in this country. I have, and, and look, yeah, you do as as players, as um, you know, coaches. I remember whenever there'd be a you know concert or something at Allianz Stadium, and we'd come the following week, and the pitch was torn up. It it, it obviously, um, you know, is an ideal, and I think in terms of the the, uh, the women's A League, what they're having to play on sometimes, I think can be. Not up to scratch, so I think there's there's definitely that side of it which would be frustrating for them. Uh, it is a it is a concern. It really is a 
a concern, the amount of ACL injuries we've seen in the women ga- women's game at the moment. Um, and it has to be looked at. And if pitches are one factor, then, you know, they need to be playing on better pitches. Final one, light-hearted one. Adrian Porsu, if you could play for any team, club or country, based only on their jersey, who would you play for? Based on the jersey? Yeah. <laughs> but it, it'd be Uruguay for you, wouldn't it? Not really. No? No, it'd be Liverpool. That's a, bit, oh, that's a bit straightforward, isn't it? Is it? Oh. <laughs> I go Argentina. Yeah. Argentina, the blue, that's the blue and white stripes, or Brazil. Well, one, one or the other. Mine, Adrian, is <clears throat> I'm a big fan of the sash. Mm. I love the sash, so I'd say Peru based on the sash. Yeah, yeah. yeah. love well, a sash. It's very stylish. Okay. okay, your South American heritage, so you probably wouldn't <laughs> go for that. Uh, thanks as ever for all your texts and tweets. We do appreciate them. We read all of them. We can't get to all of them. Uh, but we uh, love having your involvement in this show. We're off to another break, and then we'll wrap it all up with Football Asia and Paul Williams. It's time for Football Asia with Paul Williams. Yes, we ran out of the show with Football Asia as per usual with Paul Williams from the Asian Game podcast. Evening, Paolo. Simon, Alex, how are you guys? Very good. I know you've got your calculator out tonight, trying to work out all the different equations with uh, the Asian Champions League. And we're going to start with that because Melbourne City have scored. They're 1-0 up against Zhejiang. Uh, and in the other game, it's now Buriram 2, Ventfret Kofu 3. So explain the permutations for us as best as you can. <laughs> it's getting interesting in the second half of these matches now. Um, yeah, Tolga Aslan just scored just before we, we came on air to give City... The lead, uh, 1-0 lead that, as it stood, probably will take them through to um, the round of 16 in second place behind Ventfrey Koffer, who looked like they were coasting to a, a comfortable victory in Thailand against Buriram United. But as you said, uh, Buriram has scored two goals in the space of five or six minutes in the second half. That's back to 3-2. Um, if they can get another one back, City would actually jump to top of the group, if my, uh, my maths is correct. So it's it's going to be a big final 30 minutes of, of these matches coming up. Of course, if Zhejiang scores, then that could have an impact on Melbourne City. I think that might then knock them out. Um, you, need a, you need an abacus, you need calculators, <laughs> you need whiteboards, everything going on to try and figure out the, uh, the permutations um, for, uh, for who might finish in the second place spots. And of course, it'll continue into tomorrow night because some of the teams don't play in Till tomorrow, so um, all that City can control is winning their game. There, uh, they are up one nil, and we'll see what happens in the other game in Thailand as well. And you just mentioned there, if Sejong were to get an equaliser, City would probably not make it. Uh, even in that uh, scenario, they would have lost only one of eleven Champions League games that they've played in their two campaigns, and yet they could miss out a second time, which is ludicrous. When are the AFC going to get to this proper system where it's top two that go through? Well, of course, they did have that for a long time, didn't they? Yeah. They expanded the tournament to, to 40 teams, and all of a sudden you get this this number that just doesn't quite work um, with with the group stage format. Um, you know, 32 works perfectly. And, of course, next year they're going to the Asian Champions League Elite, which is going to have 24 teams. Um, so you're going to have 24 into 16, which, again, is going to cause complications and requirements to bring out abacus and, and calculators for... For um for figuring out who who goes through um yeah well thirty two is a is a much simpler number I don't know why we can't just settle on thirty two teams but um I've stopped giving up trying to figure out why AFC makes certain decisions that would be too straightforward Paolo <laughs> go on Broski. Yeah. 
Paul, uh, Bailey Wright is playing for the Lion City Sailors in Singapore. Uh, now, you mentioned uh, needing an abacus and calculator. Looking at their table there, they're currently third and, and uh, need to win tomorrow against Kitchi and hope that John Book and Bangkok get a result. Explain that one to me. I'm confused just looking at it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so John Book have been surprisingly disappointing in this campaign, I think. When we looked at this this group, Group F, and it was John Book and then the three sides from Southeast Asia, uh, Bangkok United, Lion City, uh, and, and Kitchi, not from Southeast Asia, but um, but from Hong Kong. And you looked at that and thought John Book will finish top of that group. And then it's, you know, a toss of the coin between the other three. But Bangkok have been a surprise packet. They're clear on top. And, and as you said, Lion City Sailors, if they can get the, the job done over Kitchi, and I'd back them to do that in, in Singapore. They've got a, a pretty good record at home in Singapore. They beat John Book there not too long ago. Um, if a, a win would take them level on points with John Book, they'd probably need a, a big, comfortable victory over Kitchi by a couple of goals and then hope Bangkok United can can get the job done over uh, John Book as well. Um, and they may then be able to get through. Um, it's it's complicated again, but yeah, Bailey Wright, he's, he's been a little bit unfortunate because he's been injured for a lot of this campaign. He was signed with the Champions League in mind. And unfortunately, he's had to sit on the sidelines with injury for a, a large part of it. But he is back fit now, so hopefully he can um, play a role for Lion City tomorrow night. If they can get the win, that's three wins out of six in this campaign, which I think is a pretty great result for a, a Singaporean team. So yep. hopefully they can get the job done. Especially as some of the bigger teams in the Western zone have missed out. Al Sad have gone. They, former Asian champions, Persepolis and Alda Hale have both missed out as well. Uh, we're going to move on and t- talk a little bit about the AFC Cup. We will keep an eye on uh, the Melbourne City game and that Buriram-Venfret-Kofu match as well before we go off air at 10 o'clock Eastern tonight. Um, but I want to talk about uh, the AFC Cup. Uh, Central Coast Mariners go to Stallion Laguna tomorrow. And then it's MacArthur in the Philippines to play Cebu on Thursday. Uh, again, looking into our crystal ball, if Melbourne City do manage to go through tonight. And uh, I'm leading up to a tweet from Mitch Ryan, who asks, is this next three days of Asian club football the biggest for Australia since the Wanderers won the Champions League in 2014? As he rightly says, three wins and a couple of results go the club's way through to the next round. And Australia is set up for the elite group in Asia for the next few years on coefficient points. I'm not sure about I'm not sure about that. We're a long way off in coefficient points from the the nations that are above us. Um, so I, I, I'm not too sure on on that point. But I mean, it is it, it could be historic in in some sense if we can get three nations through to the knockout rounds, all, all teams through to the knockout rounds. It'd be the first time we've ever had three nations. We have had all teams get through before in 2016. Um, I think it was Melbourne, uh, Melbourne Victory and Sydney FC both made it through of the group stage uh, of the Champions League on that occasion. Both lost in the round of 16, but you know, they were our only two representatives in Asia that year, and both of them made it through to the round of 16. Um, so I'd probably still say that is is probably a greater achievement than um, than having City go through and, and two teams from. The AFC Cup because we would expect MacArthur and, and Central Coast should be good enough to get out of their group. Um, what we want to see now is one of those two teams go on and actually win the competition, and then we could be having a, a different conversation. Would be nice. And uh, there's been a couple of managerial changes in Asia um, that we want your opinion on. Uh, Mano Polking has left his job with Thailand, and Carlos mm-hmm. Kiros was mysteriously fired by Qatar only a month out from the home Asian Cup. What what happened there? 
Yeah, I'll start with, with Mano Polking first because we almost flagged this a, a couple of weeks ago um, and I've been able to go back on a, a longer run-up. Um, it's an appalling decision from my point of view to, to replace Mano Polking. If someone can give me a logical reason as to why he was removed, I'd love to hear it. He'd, he'd won the, um, the, the AF, AFF Cup, the Suzuki Cup as, as we know it, um, a couple of times. Um, he was loved by the players, loved by the fans. He was doing well in Thailand, had them playing a really good brand of, of football as well and, and seemed to be progressing back in the right direction. Um, but as with everything in Thailand, it's, it's, generally, it's sometimes not always about the results and what happens on the pitch. It's about the, the ego and the power plays off the pitch by, by two people in particular that are controlling Thai football now. That's Madam Pang and, and Nguyen Chinchob, um, the owners of, of Port and, and Buriram, respectively. They tried to pull this off not too long ago, in fact, when they tried to get rid of um, Manapolking a couple of months ago, and the players revolted um, and stood up and, and, and contested that decision. They couldn't push it through on that occasion, but when they had that loss to China in, in World Cup qualifying, um, that was all the reason they needed to, to act and, and act. They did. They replaced him with Masatada Ishii, the, the Japanese coach who's very much part of their, their circle. Um, and, and he was officially unveiled today as uh, the, the head coach of Thailand. It's been the worst kept secret for a long time now. And, and once again, it seems that the Thailand's biggest obstacles to success is, is themselves. They continually put the handbrake on themselves, make these decisions that are completely illogical and we'll wait and see what happens. It, Masatata Ishii may take them to success, but it's incredibly harsh on, on Mano Polking. And with Kirosh in, in Qatar, that was a bit of a bombshell that, that dropped last week. Caught wind of it about 36 hours before it happened. And from what I understand, it wasn't so much that he was sacked by Qatar. It was actually he chose to leave Qatar himself. Um, from what I understand, he was not particularly happy with um, the development pathways that were in place, the, the shallow player pool that, that he saw it in. He didn't see that there was um, necessarily the programs and the plans in place to develop the talent that he wanted to bring through. Um, not quite sure this is why this was news to him one year in. This was something that would have been completely evident, yeah. should have been completely evident, eyes wide open going in because this has been something that's hasn't just happened over the last Room 12 for a months. while. Paul, Paul and... I'm so, sorry to interrupt you, mate, but unfortunately we are out of time. Um, we're about to go off air, <laughs> but thanks for those thoughts. Really appreciate it. We'll speak to you next week. Uh, there are only uh, about 20 minutes to go in Melbourne. City still leading Zhejiang by a goal to nil. Buriram still trailing Ventford Kofu by three goals to two. It looks good for Melbourne City. Fingers crossed. They can go through. Broski and Alex Molchinoff, great to have your company once again this Thank week. Thank you, mate. Thanks, buddy. And uh, we'll see you all on the Global Game next week, and I'll uh, see you on the telly. Broski will as well. Paramount Plus this weekend. Bye. Bye.